First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It's Thursday on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Leila Tassi. Please bear with me. My voice is shaky. I was up with Bruce Springsteen in Detroit till late last night. Lisa, before we get started, you mentioned you were out yesterday and saw petition gatherers for the abortion amendment, and you saw something that was a bit disturbing. Yeah, I went to Giant Eagle in Legacy Village yesterday morning to do some shopping, and there were two women in the parking lot, a, a, a young black woman and an older black woman. I, I wonder if they were mother and daughter. And they approached me, and I said, oh, is this the you know abortion constitution petition? And so I signed it. And I asked her, I said, so how's it going? They had a lot of signatures that morning. But as I walked away, an older white woman came rolling out of the Giant Eagle and screaming at these two women, very confrontational. You're killing babies. You're killing babies. She approached the older woman so closely that the woman said, look, lady, you need to back off. I'm just trying to do a job here. So, you know, this was nothing organized, just some customer of Giant Eagle who didn't like these women in the parking lots, you know, with the petitions. It was it was pretty disheartening. Yeah, we're we expect civility, but I think some of the anti-abortion folks are so strident about their cause that they believe it gives them the right to to break the rules of civility. Laura, you, uh, in full disclosure, you've also signed one of the petitions and you noticed that uh, Attorney General Dave Yost did something a little bit unexpected in regard to this amendment. Yeah, Yost is actually sticking up for the abortion rights advocates, even though he personally opposes abortion. He wrote to the Supreme Court, Ohio Supreme Court on Wednesday, and said the Ohio Ballot Board, he's a member of that, saying that they properly exercise their discretion when they determined the abortion rights amendment for the state constitution had just one I- issue in it. Remember, the court is being asked by two Cincinnati Right to Life members to force this back to the ballot board to separate it into at least two issues. And that would be a lot harder to pass. But Yost wants this request dismissed with prejudice, which means they could not refile the same claim and that they wouldn't be awarded any costs or fees or reliefs. He said, we did our job. We did it correctly. I I do appreciate Dave Yost for doing the right thing according to the rules of his office. He's shown this a couple Mm -hmm. of times. There's going to be a free for all for, for governor in three years when DeWine's finished. And if the Yost is in that mix, I hope he uh, he gets some credibility because I think a lot of Republicans put party ahead of the law and party ahead of the best interest of the people. And I don't think Dave Yost does that. He's proven it in multiple cases here. He's doing something that goes against his personal beliefs, which is what you're required to do if you are a leader of the people. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's get started with the agenda. Is no one minding the store? What's the value of all the stuff missing from the commissary at the Cuyahoga County Jail? And what are some of the items that are unaccounted for? Layla, I I would think that we were finished with jaw-dropping news out of the Cuyahoga County Jail. Not so. (laughs) Yeah, in a nutshell, they managed to lose track of 
$500,000 worth of commissary items, if you can believe that. The, the commissary, people are probably familiar with this concept. It's the, it's the place where inmates buy stuff like snacks, hygiene stuff, and calling cards. And it's managed by the sheriff's office. But the county's inspector general's office began investigating the commissary after they got a complaint that it was donating expired food. So investigators plunged in and they found much more than that. They found numerous violations from a few years back, ranging from bad bookkeeping to a complete lack of oversight that the reports noted increases the risk that theft or unauthorized transactions could go undetected. The report cited 376,000 and change in commissary items that were listed in records as being in inventory, but couldn't be found in the warehouse. And they attributed that to a variety of things, accounting errors, waste from expired food, or potential theft. Investigators also were unable to trace the inventory for 33 invoices that had been paid out, totaling nearly $55,000. And the investigation found uh, just under $1,800 in expired chips, flour tortillas, and iced honey buns that had to be thrown out. And it cited $72,000 in unauthorized write-offs in 2020 because of damaged or spoiled items or, or counting discrepancies. I mean, really just a lot of mismanagement here. And the investigation also found something else. They found that $102,000 of the proceeds from the commissary were spent inappropriately. Ohio law dictates that that money can only be spent on certain things, pretty much expenses that help the jail maintain its commissary stock or make improvements for inmates. But they discovered that it was instead being spent on vehicles, riot ammunition, laptops, printers, headsets, employee travel, employee reimbursement for groceries and parking, way off the mark of what the law requires here. So the county is taking over oversight of the commissary this week. County Council approved a request to transfer the control of the fund from the sheriff's fiscal office to the county's fiscal office where it will have greater oversight. I, I, I just want to stop for a second because this is scandalous on multiple levels. One, the <laughs> yes, commissary, well, the commissary gouges the inmates to begin with. They charge unreasonable amounts of the people that are their wards. And the, the inmates basically use it to fortify their diets because the food is so terrible at the jail, which we've chronicled, that they go and yes. they buy this mm -hmm. stuff. To, to feed it. So, so right off the bat, this commissary is critically important for the needs of the inmates. I, the, the weird one is flour tortillas because that's not a snack food. That's real food. And so you're, you're thinking now that they're using it for their real food, but they're the wards. They are, they have no choice. It's not like you, if you go to one store and you feel like they're gouging you, you can go somewhere else. This is the only way you can get anything. And it's supposed to be rigorously controlled and here we find out, like everything else at the jail, involving the care and feeding of the inmates, it's abusive. They are the wards of us, the taxpayers. We give the power to our elected leaders and county government to treat our wards humanely. And then we find out this. It's, it's a scandal. This is going on. And now it raises questions for me about, well, should we elect the sheriff? Because when this was in the hands of the sheriff, it was a disaster. Right. But then if if that's the case, I mean, if, if under a system where this, the sheriff is elected, would 
Chris Ronane have had the power to wrangle the control of this fund? Or no. would that have been protected? No, he, that's what I'm saying. Is if, if so, you're if saying this, so. You're saying this 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 draws into question whether you're you're now arguing it from the perspective of maybe we shouldn't elect right. a sheriff because of this kind of thing. Everything okay, we've okay, said is right. uh, everybody arguing for an elected sheriff says, well, uh, you know, the sheriff would do a good job, and this is one of the duties that was right. left to the sheriff, and it sounds like the. The people running it were stealing. That's right. I mean, there's there's, there's stuff that's, missing. That's totally right. The, 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 the shaky thing was they paid for some object with a big cashier's check. They paid for something that shouldn't have been paid for out of this fund, but they paid with a cashier's check. It's like, whose hmm. pocket did that go into? I, I would hope that there'd be some sort of criminal investigation. This is just scandalous out of the county. And, and look, let's point out. Chris Ronane is new. This all happened previous to his watch, so he can't be tagged with it. And he did move to do something that may or may not correct it. But we should be taking another look at this whole thing, what they're charging. You know, what, they had to throw away mounds of iced sticky buns. Mm. Right, right. You know, I also want to point out that this was this this uh, transfer of control of the fund was done very quietly at a council meeting this week. In fact, there were members of council who didn't even know it was happening. It was kind of baked into a budgetary amendment, you know, shifting money just to kind of plug holes in the budget or what have you. And our reporter, Caitlin Durbin, spotted that. And, you know, it's like this this kind of thing was going to fly right under the radar. And uh, had had she not had the eagle eye on it, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Also- it's an inspector general report. Like I thought they made big deals of this. Like the state auditor, when they find mismanagement, they sent out a news release. I, I don't understand why the, what, I guess I, I do understand why they were trying to keep it hushed, but that's not how the inspector general's office used to operate. But yeah, hats off to Caitlin for finding it. Yeah. So I so think little- the biggest shocker of this story is that honey buns ever expire. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty sure archaeologists a thousand years from now would dig up the remains of our civilization and find honey buttons that were still fresh. <laughs> so, well, right, fresh but, being at like, were they ever? But, get, but getting back to Laura's point there, Layla. So there's no requirement that when the inspector general does a report that that has to be delivered to the county council that you're aware of. I, I, as far as I'm aware. When when Caitlin started asking questions about this, it was the first time that her sources had, had heard of that this uh, about these findings, that this was not uh, they or they didn't know that this was that this was coming until she brought it to their attention. Well, that's that's cover up city. That, that system needs to be changed. If the inspector general, which was created to root out corruption, one of the reasons we have it is because of how stinky government was before reform. If there's not an automatic requirement that the council and the public get these reports, there's something very wrong. That's secretive and good for Caitlin for spotting it. You know, if she didn't spot it, no one would know. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I know. And I hate to play this card, but back when I covered the county, they did make a big deal out of all of those reports when Naila Bird was the inspector general. I do remember getting copies of that. And maybe they were going to wait to some kind of semi-annual report and list them all. I don't know. But they did used to send them out. Wow, it's a huge story. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This is a new one for me. What is pancreas collection number inflation and why are two Ohio companies, including one in Warrensville Heights, 
possibly in trouble because of it. Lisa? Yeah, there are two Ohio-based uh, Oregon procurement agencies that are under investigation for allegedly inflating their collection numbers to keep government contracts. So Life Bank of Warrensville Heights and Lifeline of Ohio and Columbus were asked by the U.S. Senate Finance Committee to provide data on how many pancreases they procured between 2018 and 2022 and whether they were used for transplant or research. In recent years, the number of pancreases is donated or used for research has jumped quite a bit. So they're concerned about the Senate Finance Committee is concerned about a loophole in the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services that counts pancreases used for research towards the number of transplants. And funding is based on the number of organs obtained. The committee wants answers by April 7th. Uh, LifeBank says that they serve 4 million people in 80 hospitals in a 20-county northern Ohio area, and they do provide transplant organs nationally. Their CEO, Gordon Bowen, says he actually applauds the committee for ensuring integrity of organ donation, and he's in the process of responding to their request. Right now, there's a two-year wait for a pancreas. These are typically, transplant patients are typically people with serious type 1 diabetes. Yeah, and this all comes while the Biden administration is entertaining a gigantic overhaul to the organ system in America because they feel like it's it's screwed up. This is evidence of how that might be screwed up. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Here's a quick one, Laura. What will be different for voters when they go to cast a ballot in the spring primary? You need to have a state ID. So in previous elections, you could prove your identity with all sorts of alternate forms of identification, like a utility bill or a bank statement with your address. But starting April 7th, you need that state-issued identification or a valid U.S. passport. This law does waive fees for if you're getting your state ID for the first time, so you can get it for free at the BMV. But we do have a primary coming up in May. It's only in certain Cuyahoga County cities where there are mostly tax issues on the ballot, a couple of um, charter issues, I think, in independence and, you know, whether you can serve alcohol or sell alcohol on a Sunday. But Yeah, if you want to vote in May, you better get your ID and make sure you're in shape. Now, what happens if you go with an expired ID? I'm not sure the answer to that. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. This one's a hot one. There's a battle brewing over how much money is needed for Brown Stadium renovations or replacement, with many dead set opposed to big public spending on yet another sports facility, one that is used as few times as a football stadium. Layla, what's the latest on this story, this time coming from Dee and Jimmy Haslam, the Browns owners who have a vested interest? Well, the Haslams are very excited about the plans that are being discussed to develop the lakefront into the gem that Northeast Ohioans deserve, connecting downtown to the lakefront and all that good stuff. But they believe the first step in that plan, of course is overhauling First Energy Stadium. (laughs) And they think the best way to do that is, (laughs) I know, right? They think the best way to do that is, is not to build from scratch, but to just 
do a total gut job and major renovations to the existing facility. And that could cost as much as a billion dollars. If the mayor thinks an indoor stadium would better suit the city's needs, that would cost much more. So, you know, funding for all of this hasn't been determined yet. The Haslam's just said in their interview with Mary Kay Cabot that, that, you know, they enjoy a good partnership with the city and that Justin Bibb has been very enthusiastic about the plan, but they also mentioned the county's involvement and taxpayers. And and that's where the rubber really meets the road here. The Haslam's just kept kind of droning on about how Northeast Ohioans clearly would understand the value of all the development that would crop up around a new renewed stadium and and would likely get behind the financing plan, whatever that turns out to be. But <laughs> I just right, rolled my right. eyes at, in every yeah. paragraph. <laughs> all right, come on. One, if the football stadium were a generator development on the lakefront, we'd have it. We don't. There's nothing that's happened since that was built 20 years ago. This is as bogus a, a set of statements as I've heard on this. The problem is they wanted a new stadium, and they have realized that there is no way – anybody's paying for a new stadium. The, the city alone, not the county, the county has nothing to do with this. The city is on the hook to make that stadium, according to its lease, somewhere in the middle of the quality of stadiums in America. So it's, it's 20 plus years old, coming up on 20 years old. It needs renovations. When we've talked about that in the past, we've talked, you know, 200 million, 300 million, not, not something big. Since they can't get a new stadium, what they're saying is, okay, let's renovate it with a billion dollars, which basically is building new. Yeah. And be- because the city doesn't have that money and will, won't have it, they're saying, well, the county should get involved. That's just hit the brakes. The county has no responsibility here, none. And the county has a billion dollar need for a jail and a justice center minimum. There is no public money extra available for this. And the Haslam's are playing the public with these claims. This is this is just 100% public relations. And to try and tie it to lakefront development, you know what my vision of a beautiful lakefront would be? No football stadium. What a waste of lakefront space. Anybody disagree <laughs> with me? Yeah, think of all that you could do with that. You with could that see land. the lake better if you That's didn't right. have a football stadium there. And you wouldn't need all that parking. Literally, you can park. On the board next to the lake, it's it's maddening. Yeah, th- this this yeah. is you know, and also I was very, I was really, uh, you know, at the point where um, Mary Kay had asked, well, what if Justin Bibb says that you know a, a domed stadium or an internal, you know, inside stadium would be better? And he laughed and was like, well, how deep are his pockets? It's like a billion dollars, dude. What? Also, not his pockets, taxpayers. Yeah, right, well, <laughs> right. Yeah, but remember, Justin B- the Haslam's worked against electing Justin Bibb hard. He knows that. They were funders of that postcard, that controversial postcard that was accused as racism. So so he's not a friend of the Haslam's. He's a friend of what's best for the city. But the people who voted for Justin Bibb aren't going to football games. I mean, he was elected by people in the neighborhoods that were asking for help for their neighborhoods and for their schools. This this isn't about a football stadium. I think they've run into a wall with Justin Bibb. Nobody's going to say that, but Justin Bibb, I think, is pretty resolutely committed to the people of Cleveland, and this doesn't really help them. He wants a lakefront developed, but he kind of took that away from them to begin with when he said, I'll plan this from here. I, I, I think they're 
they don't know what to do. They want a new stadium. They desperately want a new stadium. But let's also remember, they just spent like $700 million buying into a basketball team. So they clearly have some money. Wait, here's an idea. You build the stadium. Then you can put it anywhere you want. I do it all the time. But in this case, it's completely appropriate. Feel- I'm throwing the flag. <laughs> Do you, do you feel like they're having more events at First Energy Stadium so that they can say it's a community asset rather than just a football stadium? Because this this past year, they had a month worth of hockey events. They had kids playing down on the, the ice in the middle of the stadium. They are having like a top golf type you know, experience where you can golf inside First Energy Stadium. I just don't remember these kind of public events in the off season from prior years. You're, you're right. They, they don't. And for 20 anyway. years, they didn't. I think it's all part of a public relations push to say, hey, everybody, you get use out of this. And I, if you put this to a vote, there's no way it's going to pass. People are not going to give up their taxes for a, a football stadium for a team that perpetually stinks. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This is not a deal that sits well with many, but it will get Irish Town Bend taken care of. Lisa, what's the latest on this vital public project to keep the Cuyahoga River open to shipping? I hope you're up to date with the latest version because it was being updated repeatedly yesterday. Oh, well, uh, hopefully, but there was certainly a lot to unpack yesterday afternoon, and somebody got a sweetheart deal, but it wasn't the Port of Cleveland. So the Port of Cleveland unanimously approved a draft agreement for that $100 million Irish Town Bend stabilization and park project. That includes acquisition of a four-tenths of an acre property on the southeast corner of West 25th in Detroit, currently owned by real estate developers Tony and Bobby George. They bought that in 2018. It has an old Royal Castle Bill building and a billboard on it. And they rejected a $360,000 offer from the port back in 2022. And then they fought subsequent eminent domain attempts. Um, But this piece of property is a crucial part of the stabilization. They have to start at that area because it's at the highest point. And, you know, they don't want any collapses, you know, so that's why they need that property. So the Georges are going to get a $1.25 million payment to their mortgage investment group, LLC. Metro Parks Board will vote next week on shipping in $300,000. And then Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer has asked the city of Cleveland about what its contribution will be and when they will vote on it. All legal actions on the property will cease. The billboard that's on the property has to be replaced with three smaller billboards in other locations. And then the defendants in one of the Georges lawsuit accepting the Port of Cleveland will pay $200,000 a piece for the infrastructure needed for two of the three billboards. The project partners, again, not including the Port of Cleveland, will build a small restaurant on the property leased to the Georges after the building and billboard is removed. Bobby George says, I feel good about the agreement. It solved a problem for both them and me, although I think he got the better deal. He did get the better deal, especially since he bought this, knowing that this work was eventually going to be needed on the bend. But I think that everybody involved knows that this is such a critically important project to get done that they're willing to to pay the money it takes to make them go away. Uh, I I think it leaves everybody feeling a a bit sullen because this isn't the way public policy should get done. But the Georges are profiting off of a smart business decision in the end to buy that site when they did. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I, I thought you were going to move on. But anyway, the port has already spent $1.5 million on attorney's fees because the Georges filed two lawsuits against the port. And, you know, there was other, other litigation as well over the eminent domain. So when this is all done, they're going to shell out nearly $3 million for this. Yeah, I know. It's it's really sad for the public, but at least the project gets going. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County gets pretty terrible marks in a new ranking based on health. Laura, what's the bad news? Well, we rank 70th out of 88 Ohio counties, and this is according to the 2023 County Health Rankings and Roadmap from the University of Wisconsin Population Health Institute. So they do this every year. They look at every county in the entire United States, which is pretty crazy. Uh, We scored poorly on low birth weights, sexually transmitted infections, and deaths due to injuries, among other factors. But the rankings look at 90 factors and they look at typical stuff like smoking, obesity, education, but they also have huge swaths. They look at childcare, what's available and the burden of cost. They look at voting uh, turnout. They look at all sorts of things that they say affects people's health and the ability to interact in their government and their civic infrastructure. So Ohio was actually considered it was one of the only northern states that that got uh, dinged for having like structural things in place to keep people disenfranchised and uh, including gerrymandering was one of the ones so it's this very detailed report that talks about why they rank all of these different things as determinants of health yeah it, it i guess none of us are surprised that we do so poorly because we've talked about it we've talked about the geography of health and where certain zip codes people are in much worse shape and it all does come back in the end to socioeconomics though doesn't it a lot of it like a healthy food environment so geauga county is the number one in our area it was ranked fourth in ohio and it has an 8.7 out of possible 10 on the food environment index and i believe cuyahoga county was about 7.5 so just think about that it's a lot harder to get healthy food in cuyahoga county okay stories online Although obesity i don't know that any of us are doing great in obesity stories on cleveland.com you're listening to today in ohio Ohio has not executed anyone in years and likely will not as long as Mike DeWine is governor, but is a permanent end to capital punishment growing more likely, Layla? There, there's a growing bipartisan support to end the death penalty in Ohio, and, and there should be because it's expensive and it's looking unlikely that the drugs needed to carry out the death penalty will ever be available again in Ohio. So what's the point? when we can spend less sending these criminals to prison forever. And and that appears to be exactly what this latest anti-death penalty bill would achieve. It's expected to be introduced later this week by a, a bipartisan consortium of, of, uh, of legislators, and it would replace all capital sentences with a, a sentence of life in prison without parole. Ohio currently has more than 130 people on death row though no executions have been carried out in nearly five years because of this ongoing problem of procuring lethal injection drugs. The problem here, though, is that Senate Senate President Matt Hoffman and House Speaker Jason Stevens have a lot of control over which bills pass their chambers. So they would have to either support a death penalty repeal or at least stand aside to let it pass. Huffman has said he opposes getting rid of the death penalty, though last session he said he would allow a repeal bill to pass the Senate if a majority of senators supported it. 
Stevens also said he personally supports the death penalty, but he acknowledged how expensive it is. And he said, you know, he kind of suggested that he's considering the possibility of abolishing it. And one potentially very big influence in how this all turns out is whether Ohio Right to Life, the state's largest anti-abortion group, takes a position on it. They've remained neutral on this issue, pointing out that their mission statement is to promote and defend right to life of all innocent human beings. So death row inmates don't qualify as innocent, but that might change in terms of what their what you know what they what their mission allows for and their what their prerogative is on this. The the board might vote to get behind the repeal of the death penalty because of shifting opinions in the Catholic Church and in the pro life community. So if that happens, that could be exactly what needs to occur to tip the scales. Well, clearly the pro-life belief of our governor is the reason he's not pushing for any kind of death penalty cases. He never says it explicitly, but it's pretty clear he has some philosophical opposition to this. But all of the reasons you cite for why the death penalty is a bad idea, the expense and the permanence of it, have always been there. I mean, this is nothing new. We've been talking about these things for many years What do you think has changed here where people in the legislature are seeing that? Is it the the idea that if you're going to be right to life, you've got to be right to all life? I mean, that could be true. I can't speak for the values and and what goes on within the pro-life community. But, you know, I, I think what really has been the game changer is the understanding that we might never be able to get those drugs again. I can't imagine. I'm pretty sure that most manufacturers of pharmaceuticals that would be used in this procedure have completely stepped away from this part of the industry. And but I don't know where you're going to find it. So, But meanwhile, in Idaho, they just signed a bill into law this week that they can use firing squads for executions now because they couldn't get the drugs either. So I'm shocked. That is the most gruesome way to execute people. And I I just can't imagine, you know, there is a sense of, you know, you, you, you of humanity and how we, we execute people. Ohio does have some standard for that. And I just can't imagine that being the the next step is switching to a method like that. Um, that's that's stunning to me. Well, yeah, especially since the Constitution does say you can't use cruel and unusual punishment, even though firing squads used to be the way it was done. I think most people would agree with you, Layla, that that's cruel. If Ohio, well, I don't see Ohio going that way, but you never know. They have the supermajority. They could kill them by having them mauled by dogs if they chose You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for Thursday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back Friday to wrap up the week.